0: This season, as we discuss design at scale, the topic of design systems always seems near at hand. Whether it's the North Star provided by Shopify's system that Lindsay Thornton discussed with us, or the insights around why design systems are becoming crucial to businesses, that Diana Mounter of GitHub shared, It's clear that they are a critical part of scaling design at a growing company. In this episode, we get even more insights into how to successfully implement the design system our guest kim williams director of design experience at indeed we also hear her story of transitioning from a creative director role at ogilvy to being head of brand design systems at ebay and how she designs with empathy for job seekers in mind enjoy our chat with the insightful kim williams and thanks for
1: listening to the show this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your
2: thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage.
1: No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com/specialoffer. All lowercase. That's shopify.com/specialoffer.
2: As director of experience design of the design platform studio. Kim leads a team of copywriters, brand strategists, technologists, user researchers, interaction and visual designers, as well as illustrators, defining Indeed's product experiences. Kim came to Indeed from eBay, where she was their head of brand design systems. Prior to that, was an associate creative director at Ogilvy and Mather. Kim Williams, director of experience design at Indeed, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. I'm happy to be here.
2: We're very excited to have you, and um, I got a chance to meet you at a panel that was hosted indeed around design systems and thought you had some really great uh, insights and anecdotes around uh, creating design systems. Before we dive into that though, I thought it'd be cool to just hear a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are now. So maybe you could tell us the story of how you transitioned from being um, a creative director role at an agency at Ogilvy to being the head of brand design systems uh, at eBay and any kind of lessons you learned along the way?
1: that's a great question. Um, It's interesting the transition from agency life to product experience. Um, You essentially go from perpetual context switching, you know, you have multiple clients, you're doing so many different things, to really having that opportunity to dive deep and solve a problem that is multifaceted. And so the variety that you get in agency life is just a different kind of variety that you would get um, within the product. So that's that's really center for me. And then the other part of it is um, coming from agency life, I focused on brand and brand narratives and storytelling. And so I love the opportunity to take that and bring that into the product and and help brands really think about what's their story, what's unique about what they have to offer, and how they want to show up in in the lives of those that they serve. And with eBay, I actually started in the uh, HIG group, so the Human Interface Group, and started with design systems and then moved over to brand systems.
0: How do you think those two disciplines are similar and dissimilar? The idea of creating a brand system and a design systems. We see you know, design systems are on the, the minds of so many large companies right now. And they often find inspiration in, like, the the NASA guidebook or uh, New York Metro uh, Massimo Vignelli guidebook. Um, Can you talk about the relationship
1: there? So, the way that I think about the difference between a brand system and a design system is that the brand system spans discovery and definition. Who are you as? At your core, at your center as a brand, how do you want to show up? What's the narrative that you want to tell and how you want to deliver on that uh, narrative from a brand systems perspective? From the design system perspective, it's really about developing. So taking the high-level elements of illustration, color, photography, Um, motion and breaking that down into more tangible and tactical applications within the product itself. Like, how does that specifically apply? How do you go from kind of the 50,000 foot view of motion, like video, to like the 50 foot view, which is like, what is that micro interaction for that button? So, Um, That's what development means, and I think that that's where you get into, like, design system. And then delivery is where you get into um, how do we think about how this scales across the various parts of your product experience. So understanding that um, you want to have this holistic vision so you're not shipping your org chart, you know? Uh, How do you consider um, the different nuances of those different product teams and what they might um, need that might be slightly different. So that's kind of in a nutshell, I think, if if I think about the difference between brand systems and design systems. It's really all one cohesive system and you're just um, acknowledging the difference that the person that might be coming up with the bolder visionary aspect of it might not be the person that's actually writing the specification and uncovering all of the use cases that goes into maybe creating a component itself. So it's spanning the full gamut.
0: Can you unpack that the, uh, the idea of shipping your org chart for our listeners and what what does that look like and what's at risk if you do
1: that? Yeah, I think that it's what that looks like is you see all the different teams that are working on the different parts of the product. And I think it's really easy to do. I think, you know, even the best brands in the world, you can kind of see those seams. But I think the ambition of the design system is to remove those seams as much as possible so it feels like one cohesive um, effort. And so what it looks like when you are shipping your org chart is you can tell uh, as you move from one experience to the next um, who's working on what. And I think when you don't have that, you really get more of a seamless um, journey. You know, That's kind of the other value to having a design system team. You really have a team that works horizontally. So that you become this like glue within the organization to connect that dot um, between the different products to make sure that holistically and there is this kind of cohesiveness within the experience itself, that it feels like one, even though um, it's made of many.
2: Uh, so tell us a little bit about, so you're at eBay and then you transitioned over to Indeed and and maybe tell us kind of when you came on and as far as the sort of formation of the Indeed design system and how you brought you know any learnings you had at eBay over to Indeed as you as you worked on their system there.
1: Great. I was brought on by Matt McLaren, who is the VP of Design at Indeed. Was really excited to have the opportunity to work with him again. Um, he we worked together at eBay, and the the key learning here is actually we were. Let's see. So Matt was designer number one in San Francisco, and I was designer number two. And it was really exciting to be on like the ground floor of this new chapter, this new chapter of Indeed, where here's this beloved brand that's making this investment in design. You know, it was just really exciting to be a part of this moment of helping Indeed. Chart their next chapter for Indeed. It's like it was always a, about search itself. Um, kind of how do we, you know, you go to the the site, you search for a job, and that's kind of it. You know, similarly on the employer side, you come to Indeed, you search for a candidate, you find them, you know, and that's kind of it. So for for me, um, it's this exciting opportunity to really go from this transactional experience of you get what you need in this one specific moment to more of a transformational, more of an engagement. How do you think about relationship? How do you think about being with someone, supporting that person from their first job to their last job? How do we think about how we support someone every step of the journey? And it's just a different frame of mind, a different frame of thinking. And so I think what really excites me about being at Indeed is this, how do you solve for um, supporting someone in arguably one of the hardest times of their life? You know, for folks that are looking for jobs, when you talk to job seekers that have been looking for, you know, two months to a year, you know, two years, you know, they are really down, you know, they're down. You know, their their eyes, you know, they're not making eye contact. You know, I was talking to someone that was like biting their nails, just thinking about how much mm-hmm. research they've put into finding um, other companies. And you know, for me, that is really compelling. It's it's all about the job seeker. How do I think about creating a system that makes it a little bit easier? Celebrates with them when they have wins. Um, encourages them when it's really, really difficult. And so for me, that's really paramount. When that job seeker looked at me and said, I bet you have a recruiter. You know, I bet you have someone that's willing to do whatever it takes to help you figure out your your next step. And we're so privileged. We're so fortunate in Silicon Valley to have access to all that we have. But there's so many people that are still rebuilding from, you know, 2018 or sorry, not 2018, 2008. And um, yeah, so I think that that mission and that focus of how do you build connection in a way in which help support someone through their journey is really what speaks to me about Indeed.
0: I'm curious, how big is the design team at Indeed at this point?
1: Yeah. So the design team at Indeed, it's quite remarkable. We have basically quadrupled in size within the last year, a little over a year, um, year and a half, I would say.
0: Wow, just the mechanics of that growth of like, how do you hire that many people? That's challenging. Can, can you talk about uh, what it feels like to go through that sort of growth and then how you and your, your colleagues who are in leadership positions are trying to bring that team together and, um, you know, make it high functioning?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think recruitment is just kind of a beast (laughs) Um, in such a competitive market, you know? Everybody in the Bay Area is looking for the right talent. And then for us, we add a different dimension, which is um, culture and value fit, you know, so for us, not only are we looking for the best talent, we're looking for people that care as deeply as we do about showing up in the lives of job seekers and employers in a meaningful way. And we do have, I know everybody says, probably says this, but we truly do have this no-jerk policy. And um, it's, we we are pretty committed to that you know so everyone the only reason that we have been as successful as we have been with rolling out this first iteration of our design system is from the radical collaboration that happens when you bring people together around a common purpose and a common goal it's the only thing and i think that what's also remarkable is that we haven't just been growing in the united states we have offices you know, all over. So India, um, Tokyo, we're opening up in Singapore, Seattle, um, Austin is our headquarters. So for us, it's, we've grown at scale globally, but we've still been able to kind of maintain our culture. We've been able to maintain that drive, that ambition, um, the camaraderie. And how do you, how do you do that? You know, I think that there's a lot that we do with, like, remote. It's con- always having a, a video hangout, you know, always doing road trips. So we do um, we do office visits, um, team outings. We just really, really invest. We do museum dates. You know, sometimes, you know, we'll just take the day, walk around the block. Um, we saw, like, uh, go to a pop-up installation. So just trying to, within each design community, make sure that there are activities that are happening um, outside of the office, in the office, and just really, really, you have to be intentional um, with nurturing that relationship.
2: So as you guys have <clears throat> grown the team to this large scale, do you, do you have an ops function that's been helping with that um, as you
1: scale? That is our next frontier. Um, we just opened um, up that role and are really excited to uh, get, talk to candidates now about design operations. Did you post
0: that on Indeed?
1: <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did Indeed post that on Indeed.
0: That's an unfair advantage that you have. No wonder you could grow your team <laughs> at that rate in, in one year. <laughs> we we built the product.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely been helpful to utilize our own teams um, and our own products to source. Um, and then a lot of it's through our network, you know, like I joined with Matt, um, a few others joined with me, and we, we've kind of just like decided we would intentionally work with our friends.
0: Um, but let's talk about that, because this is, this is pretty typical, and especially in our industry, there's a lot of movement between jobs. Um, and we often hear people say that, People don't leave a job; they leave their manager. Um, and when they when things do work out well, and and their manager leaves, they want to follow that person to the next um, place. Is there though a risk of um, I don't know nepotism or just uh, limiting perspective by always working with the same group? And and that's that's how we bring people into teams.
1: Hmm. I can see what you mean by that, and. I can see that direction. I, I guess what I would say to that is it depends on who it is, right? Um, I feel like with Matt, he's been such a phenomenal creative leader. He can, you know, speak from you know brand down into like code. Like on weekends, he's building a a, a VR game just for fun. Um, so he's just an amazing person that has an approach that is all centered around making sure that everyone is set up for success and has exactly what they need to do their best work and i feel like it's kind of starts from the top you know it's kind of the law of the lid of you know everyone below you you kind of want to support them to aspire and and rise to the standard that you set and i think that he just sets a really really high bar that kind of gives us the permission to, like I said, just do your best work. And I think it's infectious in that way. And so for me, at this point in my career, I just, I can't imagine, you know, doing this thing called working without working for people that I respect, that I admire, that I have fun with, and and that it's vice versa. And so I think that that's what you'll find at Indeed more and more of. It's just a bunch of people that truly have it and it's authentic. You feel it as soon as you walk in the door, um, just because it, it, it starts from the top.
0: Support for Design Better comes from Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. It's been estimated that the average person will spend one-third of their life at work. Sobering, huh? That's roughly 90,000 hours at work over your lifetime. Imagine what happens to your body if you're working with bad posture and poor circulation. It can be devastating on your health. That's why Eli and I love Uplift Desk and their ergonomic desks and chairs. Uplift Desk makes solid, well-constructed standing desks that you can customize to match your workspace. And they have a wide variety of incredibly ergonomic chairs. My personal favorite is the Human Scale Freedom Chair. I'm sitting in it right now. For professionals like us, investing in the right tools, especially our desk and chair, is essential. You're going to get free shipping, free returns with free return shipping, and an industry-leading 15-year warranty that covers the complete desk. Eli and I love their products, and we know that you will too. Give it a try. Go to UpliftDesk.com and use code DESIGNBETTER5 for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T. Desk.com to get 5% off your entire order with promo code DESIGNBETTER5. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When we spoke with Seth Godin on Design Better, he said something very interesting. Everyone's got a noise in their head. You, me, your boss, everyone. That noise in our head is self-doubt, confusion, fear, anxiety, all of that. It's part of the human experience, and it can hold us back. Therapy is one of the best ways to work through it all, to quiet the unproductive noise and develop positive mental health. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and to work with your schedule. BetterHelp can help you get the support that you need. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com, slash design better.
2: So just going back to design systems, and I imagine that since you've started at Indeed um, and started working on the system, it's kind of evolved over the time and its use has evolved. Could you talk a little bit about that evolution?
1: So the way that the system has evolved, I think the very first system to acknowledge is the legacy system itself. So we didn't come in and immediately introduce something new. We started by actually codifying the system that was there. So there were 20 buttons, choosing one button, and like just kind of creating the componentized um, engineering version of what the system would be. Um, so starting there. And then we also, from a visual standpoint, took a very iterative approach. So. We started very lightweight changes, and we user-tested it. So user testing is really important, and this notion of co-creating with your audience to make sure that it works uh, is really important to us. And so all along the way, we um, conducted, and we still do, user studies to find out what people are thinking. And what we found was when we made very, very subtle changes um, Either people didn't notice at all. They were like, what changed? Or um, they felt like we had taken away some of the things that um, had made it unique. It was really interesting. So we tried to play it safe and got really, really lukewarm (laughs) results, both in quantitative as well as qualitative measurements. Um, And so we... Took it up a notch and decided. Okay, so we played it safe. We've also documented legacy. Let's go further because that's kind of the opportunity before us. And so we went bolder. Um, and then another key difference is we had standard A/B testing, where you know at indeed you kind of measured one element on a page, for example, and and that's it. And you know that's kind of how things were measured much like anywhere else, um, just your standard A-B test. But what we introduced was holistic multivariate testing, which allowed us to move levers on multiple different core areas, like maybe it's not just the button, it's button, it's color, it's input fields. And then um, we were pretty sophisticated with how we measured that. Um, Again, through quant and, and qual, and then uh, through that measurement, made sure that it was performant. And we noticed that anytime we launched anything new, it would immediately dip like all the numbers would turn red. <laughs> hmm. um, but if you give it a little minute, you know if you give it a couple of weeks, um, or you know within the first week you can kind of see where things are trending and you can make um, fine-tune adjustments along the way to get it stable and get it performant. Um, You know, that's kind of how we were taking it. So not trying to make individual standalone changes, but making holistic changes, but still putting in levers so that we could experiment in this kind of scientific way. Um, How do we understand the impact of the changes that we're making?
0: This this idea of uh, of running multivariate tests and seeing dips um, is interesting because that's that's pretty standard. That when you put out something new, it dips, and it seems like oh, our idea was actually terrible. Let's go back to the drawing board. And I think it's impressive that you have the uh, the stamina to wait it out and see. Okay, oh, it's not not so good to start with, but let's just see how it shakes out. So, what do you what typically do you attribute that dip to? Is it just Okay, we've put something out, and there's a learning curve with our audience, and they have to get accustomed to that. Or is there something else?
1: There's, I think that there is. When you have that um, initial dip, it is change. You know, at the end of the day, even the best change in the world, someone's not going to like it. You know, um, I think that there is this change factor that you you definitely have to weigh in. There's also just thinking through the fact that it might seem like a small change, but for us, we were looking at the hierarchy of the page. And so when you're changing multiple things at once, emphasis shifts. And so maybe something that's dipping uh, in a particular measurement is something that had too much emphasis on it before in the first place, you know, that's kind of where you start to fine tune even how you're reading the numbers and how you're interpreting them. Um, Sometimes a refresh might have exposed a dark pattern, um, something that, sure, it's dipping, but the positive metrics that we were tracking before weren't really great metrics uh, because they were problematic from a user Mm. experience. And so, those are the things that we kind of weigh when you see something negative um, in that initial release, and you kind of weigh that out with what's the bigger picture. You know, I think our executive leadership team, you know, doing tests for a long period of time—that's a big investment. And I love that our executive team really supported us through that and continued to support us through that and help us prioritize. Okay, here are the things that matter the most. Here the things that we don't want to impact. And so for them, you know, the focus is on doing what's best for the job seeker. We will walk away from an increase in revenue if it doesn't help or if it hurts um, the job seeker in any way. And so we use that lens with even our measurement. And so for us, we took a look at everything, but the executive team kind of helped us prioritize Making sure that there's mutual engagement or making sure that job seekers can connect with employees, um, sorry, employers in in a meaningful way and vice versa, that that mutual connection is happening and that we're removing the friction from folks being able to apply um, to a job. And so all that to say, there are a lot of numbers moving and a lot of parts moving. And what it comes down to is ruthless prioritization of like what is most important and it really gets you honest about the numbers.
2: Um, so you mentioned kind of measuring and what, what are some of the, if you could dive into that a little deeper, what are some of the ways that you do measure the success of, of your design system and maybe also you're measuring the success of your team in general?
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, so measurement for us, like we think about it threefold. We think about How can we understand what users are doing? And that's through quantitative, like where are they clicking? What actions are they taking? And then, of course, we want to know why they're doing those things. Why might someone choose this flow versus that flow? And that's where we get into qualitative research. And then what we've started to do a little bit more is some market research. How do people feel about what they do? And so we feel like that's like the perfect trifecta of understanding the impact of your work, you know, kind of like the what the why, and and how people feel uh, about the experience. And so really trying to have more of that holistic understanding and not over-index on one or the other. And then in terms of measuring success as a whole, uh, I think for us, it's the design system is one part how people feel about your brand in the product itself. You know, the brand system is really this or design system, rather, is this tool that can help you tell your best story. And so there's that aspect of it, like holistically, what is the experience like? And then I think that there's this technical aspect of it, which is how is it being built? Is it sustainable? Is this, uh, are you working towards a global design system where you can make global changes? Um, and, And how do you enable teams to do that? And I think from our perspective, we're tracking... Teams getting onto new tech stacks that will allow us all to share the same code and work towards that vision of making global uh, changes. And for those teams that aren't quite there yet, um, we have you know CSS overrides and different you know, front end approaches that can help kind of bridge the gap as they're working on the tech stack. So those are kind of like the two approaches componentization and HTML and CSS. And I can't talk about this without talking about our design technology team that is so phenomenal and so amazing. I mean, they are rock stars. They are, like they hold the bar and the standard for design. Uh, If there is no designer present, we can trust them implicitly to make great design choices. And just being this fantastic Conduit between design and engineering, um, so that the delivery and the output is um, both fast and accurate. Uh, so that has been a really, really great, just a great discipline that has been added to the the team. So I think when we step back and think about measurement, it's all of these things. It's you know, what are we learning from our users? It's How many teams have adopted the system? Your system is only as good as folks that are actually using it. Mm -hmm. And um, how are you supporting the different product teams? Because really, we're in service. And so uh, that's what I think about, too. How do we not just put out these standards, but how do we have this tight connective loop uh, between the design system team and the product teams so that there is that connection point. One thing that I always say is that everyone is a part of the design system team. Sure, there's a core team that's like building it and creating it, but each product team is making choice. They're making decisions every day and those decisions will either, you know, converge or diverge. And it's important that whatever decisions are made are ones that really just advance our narrative together, and where they do diverge, it's important to know why what was missing in the system or what could we put in. Uh, and it's just really key to not have the perspective of you know just kind of the police state approach of design systems. It's so important to. Kind of have tools, not rules, in in that sense, where you're empowering people to make those best choices and make those decisions, um, as opposed to being really prescriptive for how. Um, So I think about that as well. I think about how we acknowledge what's unique about each different product team and kind of the mini system that they have for their own unique products, and how does that connect with the global design system.
0: Kim, you talked a bit about, you know, how impressed and inspired you are by um, creative technologists who are building a design system, and you talked to, alluded to the bridge that they can be to engineering, um, and that's something that we see as a common theme to high-functioning design teams that tend to be healthy. Um, it's not just about what's happening inside of that design team, but it's how well that design team is, is able to connect with the rest of the company and key partners, especially with engineering. Can you talk some more about how you and your leadership colleagues at Indeed foster those connections with engineering and product, and maybe even with uh, the C-suite um, to make sure that people understand your work, uh, you understand their work, you build rapport, uh, people can value the work that you're doing and invest in it
1: So I think what's interesting too <clears throat> when you're thinking about collaboration um, is this fact of what it means to speak someone's language you know it's so funny because you're building design system right and that is a language it communicates um, your value it communicates who you are and then as we're working, as we're collaborating, you realize that everybody has a unique language. Everyone uh, values different things. Everyone has a different point of view, has a different perspective. And so being a part of this team um, is about being in service to a variety of different partners that think about design systems in a different way that think about the company in a different way, that think about what's required in a different way. And sometimes it can be challenging. You know, sometimes it can be really hard when you think about trying to collaborate at different levels, different ways of working, different goals, and just fundamentally different points of view. And so I think it just kind of comes back to the word that I often use is intention. You have to be like intentionally connecting. And so for us, we, we sync up with our C-suite. So I work with our president, um, all of the leaderships of product and engineering regularly to understand what are their key priorities, what matters most to them. um, And, What matters most and and what would make it easier for them? You know, I think about that, too. Like, how do I make it easier? So from the engineering standpoint, you know, thinking through what an adoption cadence might work best for that team, how do we be flexible and meet people where they're at? Um, I think about that. And I think that it's in these moments where, product leadership matters so much, you know, like I I really, really lean heavily on my product partners to um, the, like the product leader of design systems to be that conduit to help us like make the connections with our engineering partners and also make it easy to, easy for adoption. You know, um, that's kind of what I think about most, like how do we help it be a no-brainer to adopt this design system. Here's this design system that has been vetted, that has been tested, that, um, that will improve your metrics, that will, um, in some cases, in some cases not, that will make it easier for you to uh, build your products. And so you will get velocity. And, you know, I, I think about that. Like, how does this design system serve Um, these different audiences. And it requires a lot of constant communication, constant connection to make that happen. It is totally a village, you know, that it takes to to make the design system work, to think about all of the logistics, to all of the planning. I think it takes a great deal of humility. (laughs) At the end of the day, It takes a great deal of humility (laughs) for design systems to work because of all of these factors of working across the globe, working at different levels, speaking different languages to people. You know, it's considering all of the different facets of what goes into it. It takes a village and it requires a great deal of humility. You can be bold in your thinking, you can be bold in your process, you can be bold in the work, but when it comes to the collaboration piece, it really is paramount that you make meaningful connections. And I think that that's where a purpose-driven company has the advantage, has the edge, because you're already rallied around and you can anchor around a core purpose. Um, And I think it's easy to be in large orgs where you don't have that camaraderie um, if you're not anchored, if you don't already have some other facet that kind of brings people together. You know, I feel like that's made the difference for us.
2: Well, this has been so wonderful having you here. Thank you for sharing all of these insights and, um, Kim Williams, Director of Experience Design Indeed, thanks for being on the Design Better podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.